Welcome to part two with Amanda Lynn Mayhew. If you listen to part one, you should. If you haven't listened to part one, go to listen to part one before you listen to part two. And this is Hutch on Hunting, Bruce Hutchin, the president, CEO, Camp Cook, Camp Host of Hutch on Hunting, which is a consulting firm here in Colorado for people who want to come to Colorado and want to do it DIY and need need help, need to get lined up. And that's what I do at Hutch on Hunting. Today, this is part two with Amanda Lynn Mayhew, who's an interesting lady, for sure, for sure, for sure. And in part one, we realized we got a lot of mutual friends uh, in the industry. One right now is down in Cabo San Lucas fishing, and and uh, Amanda fishes with the same Marlin captain, Frank, who's pretty famous down there, actually. And she runs Just Hunt. So Amanda... Welcome to part two of Hutch and Hunting with Amanda Lynn Mayhew. <laughs> Thank you. I'm still laughing from, from the first episode. <laughs> <laughs> well, we covered a lot of ground. We covered a lot of ground. We, we set you up. And now we get a surprise announcement from Amanda. Take it away. So in the first episode, we finished it off by talking about how Amanda Lynn makes money. And I was talking about my clothing line and how I developed different products and played in different fields of different things that I need in the field and not necessarily women only or, you know, men only. I try to do a lot of unisex clothes and coming into what I was doing and seeing that it was that successful, I didn't want to use someone else's camo. I wanted to use my own. But how do you do that? So I researched it and I found this gentleman in Canada who had his own Canadian camouflage company and he would spend hours and years and research development on creating his own camo. And oh my God, does he do a beautiful job? And he has meaning behind it. He has meaning behind the camos, which is even so much more important to me because I feel that everything you do in life should have a meaning behind it and the deceptive camo that we came up with and that we titled deceptive camo we did it for a reason and if you go on to justhunt.ca you can see the three different camos that just hunt carries one is atlas one is deceptive camo and the third one we just launched is called skyclad camo which skyclad means naked so it's mostly for waterfowl hunting. So you can imagine being a waterfowl animal bird. <laughs> I can't believe I just said that. You can't imagine being a goose or a duck <laughs> or whatever in the sky, looking down at the sky clad camo and seeing nothing like they, like you can't, you can't see anything else. So to give you an example The Atlas camo that was developed was developed mostly for Africa badlands, desert kind of looking, looking stuff um, that none of these camos even come close to any other camouflage company out there. But the Atlas camo features the skull of the first human to settle in most of the world and more importantly, the first true hunter homo erectus. So when you look at this actual camo on the particular clothing patterns, you can look through and see if you can find that 
skull of the first human, which is a really cool piece of history to add in to the camouflage. And so there's pieces of like pieces like that, that I try to stand out with a meaning because everything I do has a meaning. My hunts have a meaning. The people I involve have a meaning. Why I do the TV show has a meaning. The story behind each episode has a meaning. So why can't the clothes have a meaning as well? Some of the clothes are named after my kids. I have the Brady shirt, the Logan shirt, the McKenzie shirt. You know, I have the Chloe leggings named after my granddaughter. I have the Cassie hoodie. It's cropped and blacked out camo named after my niece. And it totally reflects her. And so the meaning of a product, an item, a concept, a story, anything like that is huge with me. Did I lose you? No. <laughs> I just thought okay. I was <laughs> Okay. It just went quiet. I was listening. And <laughs> so you were in the fashion line. You were selling things at shows and developed them. Why do you think you can be successful where other people doing exactly what you're trying to do have failed? Now, there's a couple of people out there that have been successful um, with women's clothing. But what makes you think that you can beat the odds? Um, well, lots of reasons. I don't copy anybody. I do my own thing. I try to be unique. Um, I don't give up. And I believe in what I do. So I don't, I know there's, I know, and I've seen from experience, a lot of other people that try to do the same thing, like, oh, wow, they must be making a ton of money. I'm going to pump out some hoodies and see how that goes. And then in a couple of years, they're gone because that's all they're trying to do. They're just trying to make some money and make a name for themselves. Well, if you want to make a name for yourself, you have to believe in yourself first. You have to give something back to the industry that is, that is of equal value. And if people see through that, they're not going to have the same belief in you that you may or may not have. I don't really know how to word that, but um, people are not blind. And when you're in the public eye, you become transparent. So you need, you need to be real. So one of my biggest taglines are be real, be strong, be you. And it comes all the way from the fitness world. And I've pushed it all the way into the hunting industry. Um, so in order to, to succeed, you need to be yourself. I don't care what that self is, but you need to be yourself. Because sooner or later, that self is going to come out, especially if you're on TV or you're a social media influencer. You can't keep a mask on forever. So you got to be real, be strong. Be strong doesn't mean like I could do 400 push-ups and lift 350 pounds over my head. I don't care about that. Be strong. Be strong in your heart. Bear strong is a is a part of this. Uh, be real. Be strong. Be you part. Uh, bears, bears, bears have, they obviously have strength, but they have inner strength. They go to sleep for half the year <laughs> and wake up and, you know, like they're still strong. They're smart. They're problem solvers. Watch them. Uh, try to get at you know, all these different bait contraptions and stuff like that. They figure it out. So inner strength is huge. So be real, be strong and be you, be yourself. So be real and be you are kind of both the, the same thing. And it's very important to be yourself because people will figure it out if you're not. Be real, be strong and be you. Mm -hmm. And everything that you mm -hmm. do, 
Exactly. Exactly. Let that become a mantra that you apply. And we, in part, when we talked about elk hunting in Alberta, when it's freezing, and if you stop, you get cold. It's it's just, that's the way it is. And Mm -hmm. elk don't hang out in the corral by the lodge or (laughs) at the trailhead. Sorry. That doesn't happen. That doesn't happen. So the only way to get elk is to get to where the elk are. Elk are easy to hunt once you find them. I mean, they're huge animals. They got to eat, they got to sleep, they got to have water, and they got to have safety. Kind of like white-tailed deer. And so, moose. Pardon me? I said and moose. Same and thing. Moose. Easy to Exactly. Easy to hunt, but you got to find them. That's the hardest part. I keep <laughs> tell people all the time, Okay, there's 10,000 acres of land in this basin. The elk at any one time, the local herd, the herd that lives there, that's what they call home. Less than 10% of that 10,000 acres, that's where they're at. Your job is to find where they're at. Once you do that, it's relatively simple. And now I'm not talking about places that are pressured because that changes the whole equation. But Undisturbed elk, kind of like sheep and goats, moose, whitetails, any other critter, if they're undisturbed in their natural cycles, day-to-day routines, once you find them, you can hunt them. That's right. Do you agree to that? Totally. My son Mackenzie and I drove to Newfoundland and did just that. We <laughs> we we walked for probably eight kilometers. Uh, in the first day and we did eight kilometers before noon and then he spotted and shot his first bull moose and two days later uh, we did the same thing in a completely different area um, and I shot mine and it uh, we, we we walked up on five moose in the same area but we had to walk eight kilometers to get there and yeah a hundred percent I believe that and so many times people think of hunting as work. It's hard. It's not easy. It takes perseverance, dedication, commitment, being geared up, having the right stuff, right mental attitude, all that. But I never worked on any hunt that I had. And I've been doing this since 1966. It's the adventure. And in part one, we talked about the adventure. And it's just not the hunt, the one second, the two pound, no, None of my triggers are two pounds. Three three to five pounds of pressure on that trigger, you pull it, takes a second. That's just the period of the adventure, meeting people. And just like why one reason I podcast is because I met, meet people like Amanda and Lindsay and Tana. I meet these people, we have a conversation. And it's a beautiful thing to me. It's a wonderful thing. So tell me how your camel pattern will help any hunter in any environment, if you if you set it up that way. And I don't know if it's set up for the desert, for the timber, for the sagebrush. Let's let's talk more about the camel pattern. <laughs> um, the first pattern we came out with is called deceptive camel. It's mostly for Ontario kind of bush hunting, that sort of bush with the birch and the oak oak leaves and stuff. So mostly for fall. And uh, yeah, you blend in pretty good with that. With that, and because Ontario is so much 
more different than out west. It is definitely way more popular coming out this way. Um, and then we whited it out for coyote, predator, kind of winter hunting. And that went over really good as well. And then we blacked it out just for some fun, casual camo looks. Because for whatever reason, people love to wear camo. And uh, when I blacked it out, well, geez. <laughs> I I um, I gained followers that weren't even hunters. They just bought it because it looked really cool. And then... Interesting. Um, I know, I know. And then we came out with, like I said, the Atlas camo and Atlas was created because of Africa. So Africa was booked last year in January and we had probably about three or four months to play around with the design and develop it and put it into a tire before leaving for Africa. And we made that happen. And it was, it is, and like, oh my God, that camel pattern was flying off the shelves. We put it on hoodies, long sleeves, leggings, cargo pants, not really any outerwear, but something that would be um, our cargo pants, our canvas, and everything's made in Canada. Um, our hoodies were uh, polar fleece on the inside, nice and thick, kind of a water-resistant material on the outside. And then all of our leggings and long sleeve shirts are UV-resistant, kind of the jersey material that you can layer or wear by itself. And um, it just, the camo is just incredible. We wore it in Alberta this year too, and it just worked so well there and wore it in Saskatchewan. So, and then the third camo that we just released, we literally just released it is Skyclad and that's for waterfowl hunting. Um, we released it last week. And the other part that goes along with all of this is that the company Canadian Camouflage, who I've worked with for... I don't know how many years now on the just hunt camos. So those three camos that I mentioned, he, um, well, you can say that I am now the new owner of Canadian camouflage. Good for you. And as far as we know, the only female in North America that owns her own custom camouflage company. So instead of, me going to Realtree or Mossy Oak or whatever and saying, hey, I want to license your camo and put it on this T-shirt. Well, I don't I don't I don't need to do that because I have my own collection of camouflage. And you have a trademark. Uh, yes, it's all trademark. And we can actually license it, license license it out to other apparel companies. So I can even license out the Just Hunt camo but i prefer not to so but the other camos that we have and we have like the great white northern camo and the there's so many of them and they fit with almost every piece of landscape globally and that's important because the hunting community where it's small it represents billions of dollars and guys and gals go to new zealand argentina above the arctic circle all the provinces of Canada, Europe, Mongolia, mm -hmm. China, mm -hmm. Russia, and of course Africa, and everything in between that I didn't say. So it's a huge, <laughs> it's a huge community. And right now is show season. It starts in, I think, ATA Archery Association. That starts in two days. Then we head out to Shot Show. I don't yeah. do shows. At I don't do shows anymore because my body, I just, 
I can't handle it. I don't want to hire a, a wheelchair to zip around. Um, <laughs> no, I, I just don't. I mean, I just. Oh, I get it. Even I would prefer a wheelchair to zip around. <laughs> right. And I just don't. But as Hutch and Hunting grows, I expect probably next year I'll be at ATA. And then we'll just see where it goes. I have friends down at Dallas Safari Club, and they keep inviting me down um, to the show. And, oh, oh, Huntress. Uh, what? Uh, Jackie Gusina. Uh, do you know Jackie? She's, uh, what's that Huntress award that they give at the Safari Club for the woman, number one woman? Um, I actually don't know. Um, yeah, I'm is... just drawing a blank. I'm I'm sorry, Jackie. That she won <laughs> one year. One year. I'm sorry, Jackie. But anyway, but the point is, women are the fastest growing segment of the hunting and fly fishing sports and all shooting sports. Shooting sports, it's really easy to figure out because women are refusing to be victims. And if you're a woman listening to this. Find somebody, preferably not your husband, unless he's really, really patient, to train you, get your concealed carry, and learn to shoot. Because the world isn't a nice place. And that's my firm belief. I just, a month ago, had my whole family out to range with my black rifles and my pistols. And every single one of them left the range that at 10 yards... They could center mass, and my grandsons were showing off. They were doing headshots with the AR at 25 yards. Wow. They were, you know, center mass and headshots, but I got HK 416, blah, blah, blah. I shouldn't say it offhand, but I have good equipment. And we trained them up. So if somebody's stupid enough to go in any of our houses, they're not going to like the outcome. But today, folks, you have to be situational aware anywhere, anytime, 24-7. I don't care if you're going to the mall, to the grocery store, getting gas. It doesn't matter. You've got to be situation aware. Your head's got to be on a swivel because there's not nice people. And we know a major reason for that is our southern border. So just learn how to shoot. And you've done something, Amanda. You have that one program, I believe, in Canada, and you spoke to it about not needing a license and going to the range. Let's talk more about that. The importance of everyone, just guys and gals, learning how to handle a weapon, shoot a weapon, and be safe with a weapon. So um, I worked in a gun store years ago and I sold um I, I was I was behind the gun counter and I was the only female that was working in there at the time. We we did have another girl, but she was mostly upstairs and girls were recognizing that I was in there. So they would come in and it would become more popular and they wanted not just to know about firearms, um, but they wanted to shoot them. So I started a range day because I had a list of girls that wanted to come out and shoot. And um, so it started range day and it became very, very popular. Now in Canada, it's uh, we have a lot of rules. And the number one rule is if you come into the gun store and you ask for a weapon, we send you away. Because in Canada, they are considered firearms and tools. We don't consider them weapons. 
Um, so that is one thing that we teach the girls, uh, proper description or language in Canada, which is, is, is quite different. Uh, we cannot carry, we can't like roam the streets with a hunting rifle or a pistol or anything like that. Cause we'll go to jail. Um, <laughs> so it, it it's completely, it's completely different, but we do have places where you can come and be safe. You can, you have to go through a course to get your firearms license in order to use your firearms license to go hunting. So you must make sure that you have those, those licenses on you while you're doing your hunt. Um, you can go to a range pretty much any time of the year. If you have a firearms license and a proper transport, like, um, they call it an ATT. So you have to have a special piece of paper in order to carry your restricted firearms, which are pistols, most black guns, tactical guns, stuff like that, prohibited to the range to, to, to shoot those. Um, it's a little bit more complicated in Canada. So we, we, um, yeah, we talked about doing range days and I developed it. I organized it. I created it. And it's been going since 2011. I've seen probably between two and 3,000 women go through this program where I only take about 30 girls per event because I want to have the chance to have a one-on-one -on -one mentorship. And we split the groups into four groups of six or seven, and we rotate them through the stations. Sometimes we have sporting clays. Sometimes we add in black powder. Sometimes we add in a cleaning session just to kind of you know we rip the guns apart and clean them up and you get to see the guts and the insides and the mechanics of how they work and it actually ends up making the girls way more comfortable with the firearms especially when it comes to pistols and shotguns so it's a really great event and it's been very popular and i would say 98 percent of those women move forward into shooting competition sports or into hunting so i misspoke up you know, I was speaking of the United States where we're still. Yeah, I know. <laughs> but some of, some of the listeners won't. And I just want to clarify, Canada has very strict rules, extremely strict mm -hmm. rules. Yeah. And so, but you still need to be situational aware, no matter where in the world you are. Oh, for sure. And Absolutely. if you're able to carry, you should be carrying. But first, you have to get concealed carry and go to the range and be able to, and I like to think I can take down my pistol blindfolded. I can't put it back together blindfolded, but I can take it apart blindfolded. And it's not that hard because I've, I've got it memorized and I should be able to put it back, but I can't. But if you get comfortable with your weapon, with your firearm, then that's going to give you confidence and as a shooter, archery shooter, crossbow, muzzleloader, shotgun, rifle, pistol, it doesn't matter. If you're confident with that weapon, you will perform better, no matter what the situation. And that's just like if you've been an athlete, played football, played any sport at all, that's why they have repetitions, repetition. That's why they have practice, practice, practice. So it's game time. Game time is easy. It really is. One second. Person, my dogs are going to go crazy. I'm sorry. One second. Outside. And then just taking care of the family. I told him now. 
Are you good? Sorry, one second. No, that's okay. Take your time. Edit, edit, edit. Sorry, I have shippings coming in and <laughs> the dogs just like bark their faces off when they show up at the door. So, okay. Are you good now? I'm good. Okay. So, we're talking about confidence, handling weapons. Put your two cents on that or handling firearms, as you say in Canada. So, um, you cut out there for a bit. So, uh, we're talking, we were talking about two cents. What, 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 can you repeat that? Yeah. I was talking about before you had the, go and take care of, you know, business. I was talking about the confidence you go once you know your firearm mm -hmm. or crossbow or compound bow or whatever, whatever okay. you're shooting, the more you know that, the more com comfortable you are with them, the oh more confident. And because you're confident, you're going to be more proficient as a hunter, as a shooter. Your kills are going to be more ethical you're not going to miss <laughs> this is this is so 110 percent so true i am uploading a video from africa that's only a minute long and it showcases my shot of a gams yeah. buck that i took the yeah. gams book the gams book i shot was a pass-through arrow through the heart and the animal was expired in six minutes less than six minutes and it's all on film and the girls I were with, I was with, um, I would say did not practice like I did. I was on, you could go on my TikTok every day and you could see I was practicing with my bow every day, every day, every day. I'm like, I am going to Africa. I am not going to mess this up. And my, I took five animals with the bow, compound bow, and every single arrow was a complete pass through except for one got stuck in the shoulder. And I could not believe for myself, I was so proud of myself that I was able to pull that off so almost like perfectly. And he, the, the Nico was using me as an example to be like, Hey, listen, this is a perfect shot placement. This is the perfect way you do it. And if you would have practiced as much as Amanda practiced it, practice, then you would be on the same level. And so it is 100% true that the more practice you do, the more successful you're going to be. And we have an obligation when the animal, doesn't matter what it is, that other living creature comes into your target zone, your firing zone, to take that, if you choose to, as quickly as possible. And that all has to do with shot placement. Yeah, sometimes things go sideways and sometimes sometimes it doesn't go the way you plan and you know every hunter has had that happen before too and it, it happens it's life it's hunting but if you the more practice you do the more confidence you will have and um it doesn't control everything but it's a big part of it for sure what type of broadheads did you use in africa oh my god i used kudu broadheads <laughs> Okay, tell me, I, I shoot Iron Will that are made right here in Colorado. Oh, my God. Kudu Broadheads, I don't care who you are and what you shoot. <laughs> if you are not shooting Kudu Broadheads, you are not shooting the right Broadhead. <laughs> I have been archery hunting for years. My youngest son got me into archery. I've always been a gun girl. And um, I've tried every 
flipping broadhead in the universe <laughs> and I could not find one that I liked. And a kudu broadhead, it's like, it's designed like a traditional broadhead. So it's only got like the two sides. Right. It's it's not four-sided. It's made in the States and the guy, his name is Andy and he is amazing to deal with. Their social media people are amazing to deal with. And their product is just like the top of the line. I don't care who you are. Um, my bow is made in Canada uh, through APA Archery. They're made in Saskatchewan. And when I was out there and I got my bow tuned up by him, and uh, I said, I need a, I need a broadhead. I need a broadhead that's, you know, give me something that's going to work. Like, forget about these Montex and Wasp and all this other stuff that stuff. I've tried. Right. Um, yeah, he gave me these kudos. And I was like, huh, they look really cool. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> but I was used, I used them for the remainder of that year. So impressive. So I knew that when I was going to Africa, I wanted, I, I used the 100 grade ones. And when I went to Africa, I called and I'm like, hey, I'm going to Africa. I want to make sure that, you know, I have the right setup. So I got the 125 grains and I got the the uh, practice tips with those. And I got a whole set of new arrows and put, put everything together. And I started practicing all summer. And that's what I shot every animal with. And then continued into my elk, my moose, my deer. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. The best. <laughs> You're not excited about that or nothing. <laughs> I'm so excited. You know what I'm really excited about is that they're called kudus. <laughs> <laughs> and you shot a kudu. Oh. With a kudu. <laughs> With a kudu. Did they yeah, just a little bit up? better than that. Did they take that and start promoting you with kudu? With your kudu? Well, I'm going to tell you something. Here's another little secret that we can share. Okay. Hoodoo Point Broadheads is now a brand new sponsor of that hunting girl. There you go. <laughs> yeah. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm very happy. When you find a product that works for you, just like my bow. I mean, I used to I've I've shot bear, I've shot obsession, I've shot bows. I got into APA. When you find something that works for you and it works for you. The passion, the passion just follows it. It just, you are naturally excited about that product because it works for you. Folks, so. I hope you heard that because with my rifles and I shoot bolt action rifles mm -hmm. and a couple single action rifles mm -hmm. and I hand load. So it took me three months, six months of experimenting with that rifle the powder the primer the casing and then finally the bullet and yet it, it it's it's work but it's not really work because it's just you're experimenting you're trying to figure out and you load up five and five of these five of those 20 shells then you go to the range with the chronometer and figure it out but guess what when i can shoot five shots into a quarter which is sub MOA, I can go any place and take that rifle, dial it in, figure out my distance, and I don't shoot over 400 yards. When I pull the trigger, if I've done my job with the setup, that bullet's going to do its job. Period. <laughs> period. Yeah. It, period. There's no question. 
and I remember when I shot my wolf up in BC, I had a guide because I'm non-resident, so I had to have a guide. And so he said, he took me to range before we shot and said, you can shoot. And I go, yeah, been at it a long time. So when I set up in the mountain goat, that was 400 in a couple of yards. And that sucker was tough. But the, and we got him. Then he said, after we get the goat taken care of, we said, do you want to go see if the wolves are in the woods? I go, yeah. And so he called him in. He came in and he said, take them. That's all he said. And I did. And he goes, man, I wish all my clients were as good as you were. As confident. <laughs> I shouldn't say good. I, I misspoke. Was confident in his gear and his abilities. There's no question, no wavering. You get a wolf out there, which to me is a, probably one of the top trophies in North America to get because they're so hard to get. And he says, you know, I wish more of my clients were like you. But guess what? Just like Amanda did, she's going to Africa, rep after rep after rep after rep. She set up her muscle memory. She set up her bow. She got her broadhead that she liked. She knew was going to do the job. And it's a fixed broadhead. It's not mechanical. And I'm a big proponent of double blade. I shoot iron well for that reason because I'm comfortable with them. And if I ever go to Africa, I am going to take my crossbow if they allow it. I don't know if they do or not. Yes, but you I, can shoot with a crossbow in Africa. So, you know, I'm going to go after my kudu with my crossbow. And Amanda. <laughs> well, yeah. Because <laughs> Amanda, I guess I'm going to Amanda's favorite place. Bow hunting camp. There you've got to. And you know, let's <laughs> let's just quick let's just quick quick touch on Africa. People think it's super expensive to go to Africa, and it it really no, isn't. The expensive the expense comes after on how you get your animals back to Canada or the states, and how you get them mounted. So that's all your own your own doing. To go to Africa, a flight's probably about seventeen hundred dollars Canadian. Um, it's okay. Let's talk in U.S. dollars. Right. So a flight. A flight's probably like whatever, fourteen, fifteen hundred dollars. You're going to have your own private cabin, bathroom, everything. It's absolutely stunning, beautiful view. Um, all you can eat, all you can drink, picked up at the airport, guided every day, six days, seven nights. Um, like totally just blow your mind spot for four thousand dollars. Four thousand dollars. You go and they there. They do your laundry every single day. They do. They do your laundry every day. Um, so you don't have to bring them. Hint, folks. Hint. And I haven't yeah, been to so, Africa, but I know enough people who've gone to Africa. And yeah. So you, you don't. You, you put, bring a duffel and some two pairs of boots and a pair of slippers for camp, and that's it. Yeah. You don't want to. Uh, so what I did was I put my bow in my pelican case. And I put all my my clothes around my bow because my bow is small and my pelican, the bow pelican case is quite large. So I had that and then I had just a little bag. That was it. And um, everything fit perfectly. And I had stuff for cold, cool mornings, um, warm weather. I had, you know, my prescription glasses, um, everything that I needed. Nothing got lost. Everything got there. Um, laundry service is amazing. Cook is amazing. The, the menus are incredible. Uh, you go there, 
you, you do your good. thing. <laughs> yeah, I'll, you have a, a fire pit. You have a fire every single every single day you come back from the hunt. But um, you go out for the hunt and you're hunting. You you don't have to wake up at four o'clock in the morning. The main hunting is between nine and two. That's your main hunting time. Um, in the in the the winter is like July to September or whatever. And uh, my favorite time to go is August because there's no like big spiders and scorpions and snakes and stuff like that. And you you do your thing and you see the most majestic animals. It, you're not going to sit there and shoot like Rambo at everything that you see. The they they will tell you what is mature and what you're looking at and and all these different things and and you get to be selective on what what you want. Like if you want an Impala, they're three hundred dollars. If you want a Kudu, it's like whatever a thousand dollars. So it's it depends on the animal. Then you get you get home and then you get your invoice for your hunt. And then you figure out how you want to mount them if you want them at all. So it's very, very attainable for anybody. Because folks, um, I'm fortunate that I like to fish tuna out of San Diego. So last year I went on two tuna fishing trips. One was a three, four day and the other one was an eight day. So that's 12 days. So I could have gone to Africa twice. Isn't that crazy? It's so crazy because like you... You can go to Saskatchewan and spend $6,500 Canadian dollars and shoot a white-tailed deer. Yep. Or you can go to Africa for four grand U.S. and shoot whatever you want. <laughs> yeah, and I need to get to Africa, but there's stuff that Amanda, that I'm dealing with. We're going to talk about that um, when we get off offline here. But... Don't put it off. Like Amanda's dad told her, just do it. And you'll hear that in episode one. But you got to do it. You got to make plans. And that's one thing I help people do in Hutch on Hunting is I help them say, okay, what's your bucket list? What's your plans? What do you want to do? And because I had that, because I've done a lot, but I didn't have boats. I didn't have a cabin. I didn't buy fancy cars. I always had a nice truck but I didn't have expensive cars, but, and I'll call myself a working man. Yeah, I was in management, but I was still working. I did everything I wanted to do up to a point. I should have got my slam when I started back in 92. I killed my first ram up in Alaska. I should have just run it from there, but I didn't. And today it's prohibited for me. But if you're hearing this show, just give me a call. I'll give you 15, 20 minutes on a discovery call. And if it's something that you want to do, then you can, you know, hire me to be a consultant to help you decide what your career in the hunting community or in the hunting industry is. And why I mentioned that, one thing I made a decision right away. Yes, I'm a hunter, a, a consumer, but also a conservationist. And I've been on the board for Rocky Mountain Bighorn Society, uh, Life Members, NRA, Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation, Wild Sheep Foundation, members of uh, Mule Deer Foundation. Here in Colorado, I was on the uh, advisory council for the state, Colorado Parks and Wildlife. And so if you're going to hunt, give something back. 
even if you say, hey, I can't go to those auctions, I can't go to the sheep show or the shot show, well, not so much a shot show, but sheep show and Dallas Safari Club, I, I Rocky Mountain Health Foundation National, I can't go there and spend $100,000 on you know, supporting it. You don't have to. Just go, show up, volunteer, and be part of that community because that'll bring you as much reward as shooting that wonderful whitetail sheep, moose, elk. And this is coming from a guy that's done all that. Comments? From me? Yeah. <laughs> I agree. I totally agree. I think, um, yeah, I agree. Who do I belong to? I belong to the Canadian Coalition for Farm Rights. I belong to Ontario Federation of Anglers and Hunters. I belong to Safari Club International. And I belong to the NRA. That's who I belong to. Plus everything you've done. <laughs> On my we go, own. <laughs> we go, Amanda, she's humble, but she's been nominated for Woman of the Year in Health and Wellness category for three consecutive years, received numerous Citizen of the Week awards, and this is all up in the Kitchener-Waterloo area, Ontario, Canada. So she gives back. And some yeah. of the greatest friends you're going to have or make in the industry, in our industry, they give back whatever they have. And coming into the hunting industry, I thought, well, I got to write a big truck. I begin to raise my hand when the bedding gets to 10, 20, 30, $50,000 or $100,000, whatever those guys were spending. And sometimes women. And But then I started volunteering. I got involved in the organization that says, yeah, those, those guys are, and gals are great to have. They help make the thing work. But the people that make it work are the people who are never on stage. They're just there helping it make it work. And yeah, I'm a life member because that's the best deal going. If you become a life member at 30, I die at 80. I got 50 years of membership. I got free whatever. They lost money on me. <laughs> <laughs> they did. They didn't make money on, on my membership. Oh, no. <laughs> but they got the cash flow today and they get enough life members and the Elk Foundation, I get a little silly. I wasn't drunk. I just get a little silly. And I get a bidding just for a number, life member number 200. And I came up on top. My wife says, what are you doing? I said, well, it's a good investment, which it turned out it was. And that everybody doesn't have to do that. But I'm still a life yeah. member of the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation. <laughs> That's awesome. I love going to those things. And it is and it is nice to see people start having fun and get and get silly and all the different fundraisers that they have and the games and everything else. And it's just, you know, and then people walk away with, oh, my God, how did I end up with that? Well, I have a story for you. <laughs> it's just so much fun. Well, yeah. Yeah. It's just it's community, folks. And if you're a hunter, you need to be part of that. And by getting to a national convention, yeah, there's everybody in booze and all that stuff. Well, it helps make it work. But then you're sitting around and having breakfast and going to life member breakfast and, you know, just talking to people, all ages. Yeah, and definitely. You how wonderful it really is. I, um, 
I was at a Safari Club International, kind of like um, just a small town one. And this guy that was sitting at our table, he had the most incredible piece of jewelry on. And I asked him about it. And it it ended up being the ivory from his elk. Um, they turned it into a ring. And it was just so absolutely stunning. And I had not gone elk hunting at this point. This was like years and years ago. And so finally, when I, I did have the opportunity to go hunting for elk and harvest my first bull elk and got the ivory back from him, it sat on my computer desk from 2019 until this year, until I could find somebody that I trusted with the handicraft and what I wanted to do. And I had talked to the people at Safari Club in Nashville last year, the Elk Ridge or Elk something jewelry or whatever, but their their costs were so outrageous. So I, I hung tight and I waited and ended up meeting this kid, 20-year-old kid at the Toronto Sportsman Show who carves antlers and like is the like the most unbelievable antler carver I have ever seen and I've seen many. Um his name is Samuel Cote and he's from Quebec and he's like 21, 22 years old. I sent him my ivory. And he sent it back to me exactly how I envisioned it. And it is just the most stunning piece of jewelry that I have. And so the people that you meet at these things and what they can inspire for your own self and others is just, you don't even know which way it's going to go. <laughs> and it's just amazing. So now every time I look at my own elk ring, I think of that guy and all his stories. Yeah. And when you're sitting around the campfire anyway, that's all we're doing. We're just telling stories. <laughs> and that's what this podcast is about we've been here we've been there but we're telling stories and you can tell the passion that amanda has you can tell my passion you know for what we've been doing for a long time successfully and it doesn't end yeah i slow down yeah that's I'm about all down. <laughs> i just slow down oh maybe one day i'll slow down no you, so far you won't. He won't because I'm playing pickleball now and I have, you know, I, I have to slow my mind down because my body, my mind says you can get that shot. My body's going, are you kidding me? <laughs> You're not going to do that. And one thing, probably my best trophy, in the, my trophy that stays with me whenever I go hunting is my first bull that I found the guy here in Colorado and he made, you know, a necklace that, and it's simple it's on a piece of leather and it's got the ivory and it's got a silver tip with a piece of uh, turquoise in it but every time i go hunting it just goes around my neck and i don't care what i'm hunting and that's just a reminder back in 1977 i shot my first bull <laughs> that's awesome that's just like me with my ring yeah there you go i mean and I'm going to kind of segue into what's a trophy now, because hunting is under attack, folks. There's no question about it. Colorado, we had the roof introduction this, this month in, in January. Wolves are already here in Colorado, been here for a number of years. They pioneered out of uh, Wyoming, came down on my friend's ranch, which is in sheep country. Um, they were there. And now we have wolves because the state, there's about 6 million people, let's call plus or minus in the state. Well, most of them live in the front range. 
from Fort Collins down to Pueblo. Most of them don't know anything about wilderness or the wilderness or the critters that live there in management. They use the wilderness. They use the forest, national forest, to go skiing and hiking and camping. Great. Unfortunately, it's the hunters that make all that possible. I kind of yeah. chuckle because people don't figure that out. And so the wolf ballot came up and the people on the front range said, oh, I, wolves are great. And the anti-hunter lobbyists did a great job, spent a gazillion dollars and won just by a couple points, but they still won. So now Colorado Parks and Wildlife has to spend millions of dollars to put wolves back in the mountains where they spent millions of dollars to reintroduce moose. And wolves are apex predators that know how to kill stuff. They kill stuff to eat stuff. And if you listen to this, if you go to the grocery store and buy a piece of steak, that cow died. I choose, and Amanda chooses, to go out, shoot an elk, process it, put it up, put it in my freezer, and I go to my own grocery store and say, what am I going to have? Oh, we're going to have a roast. We're going to have tips we're gonna have ribs we're gonna have some backstrap whatever but see i mm -hmm. killed it it's organic it's good for me there's no hormones it's a perfect food but you can't have these conversations like i'm doing right now with people that, oh no 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 wolves are good well idaho doesn't think wolves are good montana doesn't think wolves are good and wyoming doesn't think good to wolves are good and they all had reintroduction. So Colorado, if you listen to this, you got 10 years, 20 years max. Our wolves at about, I'm going to round figure, 250,000 um, elk on the ground in Colorado, biggest state for elk. That'll be half. And prove me wrong. I'll be dead in 20 years, not in 10 years. Or I'm, I may be, but I don't think so. So I'm going to fight. I'm going to use my voice to help people understand wolves are here. We're not going to change that, but we have to manage them. And you as a hunter need to make your voice heard. Comments? Hmm. <laughs> yes. I love the fact that it's like, um, here's a good example. It's one o'clock in the afternoon where I'm living. We have a major snowstorm outside. I'm still in my pajamas because I've been busy all day <laughs> leading up to doing this with you. And I haven't taken anything out for supper yet. And um, so when I am done this call, I can go down to one of three freezers and open it up and be like, hmm, what do I feel like cooking? Do I want something ground? Do I want to pull out a roast? Maybe some chops? And sausage and I don't have to even get dressed to go to the grocery store because it's all right there so yes I agree <laughs> yeah and I only have two there's only two of us now Kathy and I and I got my stand-up freezer and you know that's for weekly food then I have my chest freezer and that's my my uh, tuna fish and then my venison and I buy if I don't kill an elk, I buy from my farmer friend in Wisconsin, I buy a quarter quarter cow for him. And for the two of us, that's more than enough. But, um, you know, that Kathy says, what's on the menu this week? I go, well, 
here's our choice. And there you go. I mean, it's simple. It really is simple. Yep. And that's where we're about is living a simple life, build to play, which is a whole different show, which I hope Amanda can do it sometime with me because field to play is an amazing thing because it takes you're out there harvesting you're a hunter gatherer you're harvesting bringing it home processing it throw it in the freezer and then the next year you're eating it you're providing for your family you want to hear a cool story yeah yeah that's what this is about okay we're gonna be on the phone all darn day okay so this is a cool story um i went moose hunting in Newfoundland with my youngest son in October. He shot a bull moose. I shot a bull moose. We drove there. We drove back. I decided that I was going to do a, a just hunt gala, an event. Instead of having a Christmas party and inviting all the ambassadors and everyone that has had something to do with just hunt, I was like, you know what? Let's just do this big. Let's blow this up. Let's like, we rented this um, beautiful barn, um, super traditional lots of wood just absolutely stunning there's pictures on instagram of it and um we decided that uh yeah so turn it into a beautiful gala awards night and a film festival that talks about taking me hunting and the program and why i do what i do and we fed everybody that came which was close to about 100 people um we fed them the moose from newfoundland so it's just there you go i don't know cool story yeah and that's what people do i mean there's there's tons of venison that are given away in wisconsin michigan uh, iowa minnesota tons of venison that is just given away to people to feed people that wouldn't have any in the way and hunters do that yeah pretty amazing so here we are it's what two o'clock your time three o'clock it is one o'clock. Oh, you're only two hours. Okay. Yeah, it's two one o'clock. All <laughs> right. So anyway, so we've got part one in the can, part two in the can, and then the men and I are gonna have to figure out how do we get to uh, part three. But I think maybe I field... should co-host the show with you. I think that's the only like the easiest way to do it. Yeah. <laughs> no. Maybe we'll do. We'll get. Amanda, Lindsay, and Tana all on the show at once. That would be oh great. Oh my God. Can you imagine that creation? Oh, that. <laughs> and then the other one, do you know Mia Anstein? Oh, yes. Yeah. She and I are good buds. Oh, yeah. And her and Hank and the ranch. And I've been down there and hung out. I don't her. know anything. I honestly, I don't know anything about her. So I just know her name. Like I know who she is, but that's yeah, all. You I need know. to, you need to you know, develop a relationship with her because she's the director for SCI in the southwest corner of the state, stuff like that. And she's doing something she got proper. Yeah, she's Proposition 91 in Colorado. They're trying to coin the the Mon Liquor Trophy for wolves okay. and bobcats and cats, predators. But that's just the first step. They're trying to eliminate killing those animals, not because they're predators, not because they're harming, again, get back into management, they're killing fawns, and, you know, they're just doing what they're built to do, but you have to control them. That's the whole thing. You have to manage them. So they're trying to get that eliminated 
in the state, Proposition 91. So she's a voice in that. Anyway. So what, but what, what is her position? I don't understand. I thought she was just Proposition 91 a... to eliminate the hunting, the trophy hunting of cats. Okay, but what does she like? What does she do though? Oh, like, what is she about? No, she she's about? fighting against it. There's a group out of Canyon City, and I don't have that in my notes. Okay, I didn't, I didn't know we were going to get on that. Then I'll find, I'll find <laughs> that out. I'll find that out. I'll send it to you. But me is okay. a big part of that, and she's a big voice uh, for the women. And uh, she goes to Washington. I just can't. Barbara, Barbara, I just can't, I just can't remember the lady, but she's in Barbara the Ford? women's, yeah, the women's I coalition. Um, women's Outdoor News, like Barbara Bard? No, that's that Women's Outdoor News. It's a, a different Barbara, but they, they go to Washington and, and lobby. Okay. For I don't know. Hunter's rights. Huh. Yeah, she'd be a great gal to get to know because she's dynamite. She's unbelievable, smart, intelligent. I've just heard great, of her. Yes, yeah, just a great lady. I'll send can't... you. I'll send you her contact information. Okay, I, I think I've seen her on social media. Yeah, or on LinkedIn or she's something. Got, she's got her own podcast and stuff like that. That's what I saw. Yes, I saw yeah. that. Yeah. Very cool. So anyway, folks, we're to, we're talking about people in the industry, but see, it's relationships. I'm writing a book right now called Return on Relationships. Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> I'm writing a book called Wild and Free. <laughs> there you go. All right. We got to wrap this thing up. So yeah. final words, Amanda. <laughs> Sorry. You know, final closing statements. Give people how to get in touch with you. You know, social okay. media, your website, you know, your shameless plug. This has been an incredible, I don't even know, two hours plus and um, I've thoroughly enjoyed conversing with you about all the different aspects of hunting in the outdoors and, and everything that's relatable to it. I appreciate you getting in touch with me and giving me this opportunity to talk with you. And um, for those of you listening, if you want to learn more, you want to, you know, just communicate or have questions, anything that has to do with the outdoors, you can go to justhunt.ca and you can click on contact and you can get me from anywhere so right there on justhunt.ca you can see all the social media links to tiktok instagram twitter facebook and uh linkedin and yeah that's 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 about it carry on thank you folks for listening to uh part two of amanda lynn and justhunt.ca and this is bruce hutchin your host at hutchonhunting.com you can reach out to me on social media at Hutch on Hunting, or you can just send me an email at hutchandhunting at gmail.com and uh, look forward to hearing from you. And if you're interested, and if you think you get the cojones like Amanda does, if you want to be on the show <laughs> and you can bring it, just reach out to me and say, Bruce, I'd like to be part of your show because this has been so interesting, informative, and you guys are real people. And I want to be part of that. And I'd love to have you part of it. And Amanda just offered, you heard her, to be a co-host. So oh <laughs> that would be wild. I mean. <laughs> Can you imagine that show? <laughs> oh, my goodness. 
we'd have fun. <laughs> but it's been fun. But this is what hunting's about. This is what I've spent. I killed my first whitetail in 1966. Yes, I am that old. I don't sound like I'm that old, but I am. And I've hunted all over North America from Angaba Bay to Mochatna River and just about every province in between and then down into the Rocky Mountains and the Midwest. And I love the fly fish. Um, I love meeting people, making a difference in conservation. So this is Hutch on Hunting. And this is Hutch saying, go melt, make it a fast, fantastic day. So we're going to end this part of the show, and I've got to give a shout-out to Conquest Scent, Doug and Karen Roberts of Michigan, the makers of Evercom. They've been my presenting sponsor in 2023. I look forward to having them as a presenting sponsor in 2024.